And so, uh, um, in order to try and save some money, um, the drama department of a local college decided that they, instead of purchasing a copy of the script for all of uh, those who were taking part in the play, they would just keep it to a minimum, and uh, somebody had worked out that they could then uh, chop the books up and give each section to the different uh, people who were taking part in the, <clears throat> in the performance that they were going to be practicing. And so the director gave each of the players the part in order that they would be uh, required uh, for the part that they were playing. And they decided that they would start the rehearsals on a certain night. They began. And as they started to go through the rehearsal process, they discovered that it was an absolute disaster. Things were going horribly wrong. Uh, people were missing the cues. After you, sir. <laughs> that wasn't uh, planned, by the way. <laughs> people were missing cues. And it was just a mess. Everything was going horribly wrong. People were unable to follow through what the script was trying to say. And finally, the director calls Curtin and says, everybody meet together. We've got to work out what we're going to do. And he sits them all down uh, at the stage and he says, look, I'm going to read through the entire script from start to finish. And I don't want anybody to say a single word. I just want you to listen. And so he did exactly as he said. He read the entire script out loud. And when he is finished, one of the actors cried out at the end and said, so that's what it's all about. You see, finally, everybody was beginning to understand what the story was actually about. They were able to fit together all the different parts that they were playing, and they began to see the complete picture. They began to be able to hear the different sections, the words that were being spoken, and each person as it interacted together. And suddenly, all the different parts, the different puzzle pieces, if you like, fall into place, and the whole picture is revealed. And as they began to do this, they discovered that the rehearsal was successful. Now, perhaps you're one of those people who have come to church all your life. You were given no option as a child. Uh, from the earliest memory that you have, you knew that Sunday was the day that you would come to church. You knew that there was no option, you had to do it. Uh, perhaps uh, during the course of your life, you have listened to more sermons than you could shake a stick at. Lots and lots of them. Uh, you've sat there and uh, your backside has gone numb because of the hours that you have sat listening to the different messages that have been presented. And perhaps during the course of the sermon, the most exciting word that you can remember is the word Amen, because you knew that was the end of the message. You knew that things were coming to an end, and you were so grateful that the preacher finally said Amen, and you could start breathing again and begin to relax. You've heard all the themes of the Bible. You know them really well. If you had to engage in a game of Bible trivial pursuit, you'd be good at it. Because you've heard the Bible read. You've heard the messages. I can see from some of your faces that you can relate to this. You've also known the things that you shouldn't do. Uh, all your life you've been reminded, don't do this, don't do that. 
Uh, and, and perhaps when you did do something, you could hear at the back of your voice, not God speaking to you, but the preacher, the pastor of the church, or one of the elders, or someone on the consistory. So you knew the things that you shouldn't do. And, and you also knew the things that you should do. Because again, they were drummed into you, you were spoken to, they were explained to you. And you listened and you heard and you knew. And all these different themes, these different themes uh, of the scriptures, of the Bible, all these different understandings of the things to do, the things not to do, the things to say, the things not to say, the things to think, the things not to think. The trouble is, you couldn't put them together. Because each of them just seemed to stand on their own. There was no cohesiveness toward it. And it's a bit like that play. You know, all the different actors, they, they tried hard to put the pieces together, but without hearing the whole story, they couldn't work out what the ending was. They couldn't work out what the middle was. They couldn't work out what the theme was until finally somebody says, let's read it all together. Let's understand exactly what it is that we're looking at. Now, I've got to say to you that I can relate to everything I've just said. From my earliest childhood, I remember going to church. My earliest memories were in church. Um, my earliest memories of rebelling usually centered around church things. My earliest memories of, of, of being put on the spot come from church. And so I can relate to what, of what, a lot of what uh, you might be thinking and feeling. And I can remember that I also found it impossible to try and put all these different pieces together because I'd heard so much and, I'd, and, I, and I knew enough, but it was a mystery. I want to say to you that when you read 1 John, and we've been studying 1 John in our Bible study, and if you've not been coming along to us, I want to say you're the poorer for it because they have been good studies, haven't they, those who have been coming along? We have appreciated, I see a couple of hands going up, that's great. We have appreciated digging into God's Word in a way that has been um, so challenging for us. And I think that when you read 1 John 4, and particularly the verses 12 to 16, you can feel a bit like those actors. Perhaps... As you read these verses, you might say to yourself, oh, so that's what it's all about. Now I'm finally beginning to understand. I've been wondering, and here it is, in the Word of God itself, suddenly I begin to understand. And suddenly you begin to see that God's got an awesome plan for salvation. He's got an awesome plan for you and for me. And God is doing something. And that's the title of our message this evening. What is God doing? Well, I'll tell you what he's doing. He's abiding inside people who know him. And he's doing that through the Holy Spirit. So let's just read these verses together. No one has seen God. Well, have you seen God? So we start off. No one has seen God. This is, you know, this is so practical. This is clear. This is what you need to be able to see the whole story of the scripture that we have before us. No one has seen God at any time. 
If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now just think for a moment and I'll explain a bit more. But look at those words. Begin to take them into your heart and into your mind. And now I want you to begin to see here that this is what it's all about. This is it. Here in these words, we learn what God had in mind when he devised his great and awesome plan of salvation. And the thing that stands out is the fact that God has always, always desired to live in us. That's been his plan. See, God's not satisfied simply to tell us that he loves us. Or even just show us that he loves us. And and these are the great things that we don't understand. And sometimes when we hear messages being preached and we hear the scriptures being taught, we don't always hear just how incredible the gospel message is, how transformative it is in the fact that the God who created the universe, this awesome God who made everything, lives in us becomes small enough to live within us. Now, it's great when someone tells you that they love you, isn't it? Perhaps your daughter or your son. But if all you hear are words, I love you, you discover that you soon want more, don't you? So mums, if your son says he loves you, you know, is it because he's wanting something? <laughs> His room tidied up? <laughs> Can you make dinner for me? Yeah, the words I love you are great. But you want to see that love in action. Perhaps in what he does for you. Perhaps in how he talks to you. Perhaps when he buys you a gift and he comes and he says, Mom, I love you and I want you to know my love for you. But here's the incredible thing. And it is incredible. And I really need you to hear these words. God wants to do even more than that. Absolutely he does. What more could the God who created the universe want to do for us? Well, it's this. He has desired from the beginning to live and to dwell within us. 
Now it's got some pictures here, and I think they're probably, okay, they're bigger than I thought they were going to be. So right back in the very beginning, we know the story of uh, Genesis, don't we? And isn't it amazing how we're told in Genesis that in the cool of the day, God came down and he walked with Adam. He walked with Eve in the garden because he wanted to be with them. He wanted to have fellowship with them. And it was personal. And it was direct. And the scriptures say, and Adam heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. You imagine that, 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 that twig that snapped. And Adam, of course, went off and hid himself because sin had entered in and the relationship had been broken. And then, of course, as we go forward into the Old Testament scriptures, we discover that God walked with Enoch for 969 years, I think. Oh, it's Methuselah, sorry, not Enoch. But he walked with Enoch, he walked with Noah, he walked with Abraham. But in the book of Exodus, God didn't simply walk with men, he lived with them. He dwelt with them. And that was in the tabernacle. And if you were able to join us last uh, Sunday morning, you'll know that we spoke about that and explained that there's a similarity between ourselves and the tabernacle. But then, of course, the nation sinned. A problem came in. And sin always brings division. Have you noticed that? Whenever sin is allowed free reign, it brings division. And that's exactly what happened with the nation of Israel. The nation sinned and God's glory departed. But then, of course, the nation was restored. And Solomon built his temple. And God dwelt in the temple. But the problem, and we find this so often in our own lives, is that history repeats itself. And the nation rebelled again, and the temple was destroyed, and Israel is taken into captivity where the prophet Ezekiel sees the glory of God depart. But did the glory of God ever return? And we know the answer to this, don't we? Yes. And it returned in an incredible way. And the word became flesh. The glory of God dwelt on earth in the body of Jesus Christ. For his body was the temple of God. John 2 verses 18 to 22. And of course the words here from John 1 and verse 14. The glory of God dwelt on earth in the body of Jesus Christ, for his body was the temple of God. But we know what happened, don't we? Because history repeats itself. And wicked men took the Son of God and nailed him to a tree, to a cross. But all of this was part of God's thrilling plan of salvation. And Christ arose from the dead, returned to heaven, and then something incredible takes place. The Holy Spirit is given, promised to us. Or do you not know that your body is 
a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. And this is possibly one of the most wonderful verses in Scripture. For you were bought with a price. Do you realize how valuable you and I are to God? That we've been bought. And what was the price? The death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. The price that was paid. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. The glory of God departed from the tabernacle and the temple when Israel disobeyed God. But Jesus has promised that the Spirit will abide in us forever. Those of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, those of us who have called out to him for salvation, who believe not just in Jesus, but believe that he has died for me, believe that he is the promised Messiah. So now the pieces are beginning to fall into place. We're beginning to understand. John said God is invisible. 1 Timothy 1.17, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise. No man can see him in his essence. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15, by taking on himself a human body, Jesus was able to reveal God to us. But Jesus is no longer here on earth. So how then does God reveal himself to the world? A world that is in desperate need of hearing the gospel. A world where the gospel is needed, the gospel of peace and we have seen, even in our own community, how peace is driven away. Usually because of pride, usually because of selfishness. And yet, we are in need of peace. Well, the answer is very simple, and it's revealed to us in 1 John. He reveals himself through the lives of his children. You and me, those of us who have come to faith in the Savior. You see, men cannot see God, but the fact is they can see you, and you, and you, and you, and me. And now we begin to understand why it is so important that we live the life that we have been called to live, that we bring glory and praise to God as we have been instructed to do so. So as we, those who have been saved, abide in Christ, we will love one another, and our love for one another will reveal God's love to a needy world. God's love will be experienced in us and then will be expressed through us. What is God doing? Right now, he's abiding in us. Um... This is where it gets hard. Why in the world would God do that? 
because I know me. And you know yourselves. But God has chosen to abide in us. Can you imagine the wonder and the privilege of having God abide in you? Now if this evening here, you're scratching your head and you're thinking to yourself, I just don't see it. Well, the scriptures have made it so very clear that we have read together. The Old Testament Israelite would look with wonder at the tabernacle or the temple because the presence of God was in that place. But no man would dare to enter the Holy of Holies where God was enthroned in glory. But we have God's Spirit living within us. Now that is where we begin to understand what's involved in being a real Christian. Because we're not on our own. We're not free agents. We have God's Spirit living within us. We abide in his love and we experience the abiding of God in us. John fourteen twenty three. If a man loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode in him. And what an absolutely magnificent verse that is. We will come and make our abode in him. Are you struggling to comprehend it? I am. But it's true. And as we saw last week, God's love is proclaimed in the Word, Jesus Christ. And it was proven. It was proven at the cross. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But even though all of this is just magnificent, there's even more. You see, if you're a believer, if you have been saved, if you have become the tabernacle, the temple in which God now dwells, then God reveals his love through us. He entrusts his love to us. I was a, um, a, a, a British theologian, a British preacher. His name was uh, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. Maybe some of you have read some of his books. Well, he had five sons. And all of his sons became ministers of the gospel. Now, isn't that a tremendous blessing? And one day a visitor came to the uh, Morgan household. And he asked a very personal question. To the point, he said, which one of you six is the best preacher? And instantly, and in unison, the story goes, they all said, mother. <laughs> now, why in the world would they say mother? Because Mrs. Campbell Morgan had never preached a formal sermon in church. But the reason was this, is because her life was a constant sermon on the love of God. Men cannot see God, says John, but they can see us. 
a pastor and his wife were out. They were pastoring in an inner city church. There was lots of uh, poverty in the city. And the church was very much involved in bringing aid to people and trying to help people who were struggling financially, who were struggling with food and so on. True story, incidentally. And he, the pastor and his wife, were out one evening and they were going round uh, to the areas where they knew that there were people that were struggling and they were taking food and they were trying to encourage them to come in for a warm uh, place to stay the night, perhaps because the church had converted the, uh, the lower room into a place where people could stay. There was great need. And eventually they came round a corner in a dark doorway. They found a woman lying. She was in a bad way. She was dirty, smelly, and had obviously been sleeping rough for some time. The wife invited her to come to the church where it was warm and there was a place she could wash and have food. But the woman looked up and refused to come. And the pastor and his wife assured her that they loved her and they wanted to help. They told her that God loved her and they told her that Jesus had died for her on the cross. But she wouldn't budge. There was no shifting her. Wasn't interested. There was need. There was solution. But she wasn't interested. And then... On a divine impulse, the pastor's wife leaned down and she kissed the woman on the cheek. And at the same time, she held the woman tightly in her arms and whispered in her ear, God loves you. The woman began to sob and then she allowed herself to be led to the church where ultimately she trusted in Jesus Christ as her Lord and her Savior. And the glory of God took up residence in the body of that woman who was dirty and smelly and lived rough. And she said, you told me that God loved me. But it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I knew I wanted to be saved by Him. Friends, Jesus didn't simply preach the love of God. He proved it by giving His life on the cross. Jesus proved the love of God. God loved us and sent his son and Jesus came and died on the cross to deal with the problem of our sin and our separation from God, our rejection of God, our determination to say even though we know the love of God, we can perhaps even see it, but we turn our back on it because 
we're not interested. In his death, Jesus took our sin. My sin, your sin. And he exchanged that sin for his righteousness. Now again, this is one of the mysteries. We struggle to understand why. And then we struggle to understand why me? You know, there are other people that I could understand that God would do something like that for them. But not me. Every opportunity I was given, I turned my back on him. Every opportunity to sin, I took it. But he still showed his love to me. And so this evening, I ask yourself, or I ask you the question, and you ask yourself the question, do you know the presence of God in your heart? Do you know God abiding in you? Do you know that you have been saved? Do you have the assurance that you belong to God? Now, this is a very true story. Not that the other wasn't. But this one is because this is a true account that I was involved in last week. I was talking to a young guy here in town. And he was telling me that he had seen a vision of Jesus. We're sat together in a restaurant. We're talking, and when someone says that to you, do you ever sort of think to yourself, well, hold on a moment, what do you mean? So I looked at him and I said, how do you know it was Jesus that you saw in the vision? And he looked at me and he said, I won't ask if you can guess what he said, but he said it like this, because I recognized his voice. Oh, isn't that incredible? He recognized the voice in the vision. And that's what the scriptures tell us, isn't it? That my sheep will recognize and know my voice. Have you heard the voice of Jesus calling to you? Now the reality here is that you actually have done Whenever the scriptures are read, he's speaking. I want you to think back to all those messages you sat and you thought to yourself, come on, say amen, please. And I'm about to, so relax. And Jesus has been speaking to you. And so the reality is, is that you do know his voice but you don't want to listen. You're not interested. You've refused to listen further. You know the sin in your life and you know 
that Jesus has been speaking to you about it. The sin of unbelief. And Jesus talks to you. And he says, you don't believe in me? I'm here for you. I love you. And all your life you have managed to dodge, duck, dive. And yet there it is. When the dust settles. And he's speaking to you. So this evening, I say please. Know the love of God. And experience the love of God. And listen to the voice of Jesus speaking to you because he's calling you right now. Repent. Turn to him. Change your mind about yourself, your sin. Change your mind about him. And receive from him his salvation which God has planned from the beginning. He wants to abide in you. And he's done everything for that to happen. But he needs you to welcome him into your heart. To allow him to work within you. And to change you.